good to see everyone this evening, and we're continuing in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. The title of the series is Ponderings of the Preacher. Solomon is the preacher, and we are listening to the words that he ponders with regards to life and what it means. This is the twelfth lesson in the series, and Lord willing, next Sunday evening, we will take chapter 11 and verse 9 and following, and we will conclude our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. It has been, for me, a wonderful series of lessons because it helps to give insight to an inspired man's view of the difficulties, the trials of life, and how one ought to respond to them in a fashion that is acceptable to God. I want to begin tonight by discussing stewardship. It is an important topic as one approaches chapter 11. It was a very important part of ancient life. We do not have that same kind of situation today exactly. We do have some things that are very close to it. But I'd like to point out to you, if you read Luke chapter 12 and verse 42, And the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? The Lord talked about a man being made a steward over one's household. What is interesting is the word that is used in the original language. It's the word that we get our English word economics from. And it describes a person who was charged in a local home to manage the money, to manage the household, to pay the bills, to be able to buy the food, to be able to provide everyone their task to do. Steward was a very important person within the household. If you go to Luke chapter 16, there's a great discussion in that chapter about a man who became a bad steward. We read Luke's account, and he said he also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what I will do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. And so he begins to try to uh, do things to ingratiate himself to his master's debtors. But then when you drop down to verse 12, there's a very important verse there. And Jesus says, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? The Lord's lesson here was not about economics. It was not about making money. You see, sometimes when we go to the Bible, we may think the Lord's focus is on physical things, but I can go back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, where he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. 
He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he will say in verse 21 that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When we talk tonight about things like stewardship, investment, and initiative, we're not talking about physical things. I don't want you, I know it will be very tempting to do so, to think only in terms of physical things, but I want you to keep your mind focused on spiritual things. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord used different illustrations to make his point. But in verses 14 through 19 we read, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made five, another five talents. And likewise, he who received two talents gained two more also. But he who had one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now the Lord was using an illustration which they could easily understand. Here's a man leaving. What is he going to do with his possessions, his wealth. These talents were amounts of money, perhaps a gold talent or a silver talent, but these were amounts of money. And he says, I want you to trade with them. I want you to use them. I want you to invest with them. Again, the Lord's not talking about just physical things. Chapter 11 of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon's Proverbs. And I use the word Proverbs very carefully because that's a form of saying. The book of Ecclesiastes up to this point has not been a lot of Proverbs. It's been a discussion of looking at life. But chapter 11 has several Proverbs in it, which is usually a short, pithy statement that makes a point that you can get just like that. Well, Solomon is going to use that to talk about investment and initiative in life. And so here's what we will do. We'll look at verses 1 and 2 and look at investment. Then we will look at verses 3 through 8 and we'll talk about initiative. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be upon the earth. Those are Proverbs. And unless you understand the illustration he is using, it's very difficult to grasp the meaning of it. Many older commentators would look at these verses and say this applies to philanthropy, that is giving to people who are in need. And their idea is you do good unto others and eventually that will come back to you. That is true, but that's not what Solomon is talking about here. A much more likely thing is Solomon is talking about investing as is indicated by the context. 
he's again like Jesus did, and the reason why I use those passages to introduce it is because the Lord used investment to make a point with people. Notice what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters. Now, if you're not grasping the metaphor or the illustration the Lord's using, you may think here's a man got a pita bread or some sort of bread and he throws it out on the water. And if you're thinking of that, then you have missed the point. What he's doing, he's using a maritime, seagoing metaphor. That's his illustration. In the Bible, there were a number of sea traders. Much of what is recorded in the Bible describes people who lived in cities along the seaside. Joppa, Caesarea. And then you can go north and you can go to Tyre and Sidon. You can go to Troas. You can go to Philippi. All of these were areas close to the water. Well, let me use a couple of illustrations. first one is found in Ezekiel 37. And I will tell you, I would love to take all of Ezekiel chapter 27 and discuss it with you. It's about the king of Tyre. We don't have the time for that passage, but I do want to make a point off of a few verses of it and then look at Proverbs 31:14. He says, Now, son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre and say to Tyre, You are situated at the entrance of the sea. Merchants of peoples on many coastlands. Thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you who have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. You see those first few verses there, how he is talking about Tyre, and he says your borders are out in the seas. Your influence, your extension goes out that far. You've been made wealthy because of that. Look at verse 12. Tarshish was your merchant because of your many luxury goods. They gave you silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. What am I trying to pull out of these verses? Simply the fact that trading upon the waters was a very uh, lucrative Money-making task. If you'll remember Proverbs 31, 14 about the worthy woman, he says, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar or she brings her bread from afar. So when Solomon says, cast your bread upon the waters, he is saying, invest in merchant ships. Let me go a little bit further. He says, after many days, it will return to you. This indicates you have to be patient for time to take place. A good illustration is found in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22. It's describing Solomon, and it says, For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, monkeys. Can you see the big picture of what's happening? What about Solomon and his investment in merchant ships? What about the other kings? Solomon is saying here, cast your bread upon the waters 
And after many days, it's going to come back to you. You have to realize that sometimes you invest, you don't get your profit right away. A farmer plants, he waits for the early rain, he waits for the latter rain, and then he is able to enjoy the harvest. Those of you who invest in mutual funds, you know that they'll tell you don't touch it for five years at least. Allow it to have time and patience to do so. Now if you go to the verse 2, giving a serving to seven and also to eight. If the bread of verse 1 refers to an investment, then the, this giving to seven or eight refers to diversification. That is so that you are not putting it all in one place. You're giving some to this one, this one, seven or eight. He's saying a number of different people. Spread your investment over several different items. And here's why. He says, for you do not know what evil will be upon the earth. You don't know what might happen. The ship that you put your money in, that one might sink. Pirates may take over that ship. Or you might put your investment in something else. And if you put it in one, what's going to happen? And I couldn't refute, you know not use a, an illustration that we use today, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know why? Because if you fall and you stumble with that one basket, you're going to break them all. So that's exactly what Solomon is trying to say here. One cannot plan for every possible disaster, but having investments spread over several offers some protection for them. Now let me move to verses 3 through 8 because now he is going to go from this investment to initiative. Now what is initiative? It's ambition. It's a person being motivated. A lot of times people have desires for things but they're not motivated to do anything. And Solomon is going to describe the kind of initiative that one ought to have. And so he says in beginning with verse 3, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, I could put spirit there for wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether they both alike will be good. Truly light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Let's take just a few moments here to look at the metaphor he changes now. He has been talking about maritime ships and them going on the waters. Now he is talking about a land 
illustration. He's talking about a farmer. And here's the first thing that he says. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls, there's where it's going to lie. I've broken those down a little shorter so you can get the idea. There's an inevitability about this life. Will it rain? Sure it's going to rain. If Hurricane Isaac follows the pathway that they anticipate it will, then it will rain here on Thursday or Friday. If it doesn't follow the path that they think it will, it may not rain here Thursday or Friday. But whether it does or does not, I can't change it. You can't change it. It's going to happen. Good rain, falling tree, bad, will happen whether you and I want it to or not. Will there be droughts? Sure there will be. Will there be floods? Sure there will be. Will farmers have some year that they'll have a bumper crop and uh, prices go down because they have so much? Sure they will. Will there be years that there will be such a lack of rain that it will stun it and they will have very little that year? That's a fact of life. It's inevitable. That's really what verse 3 is talking about is the inevitability of good and bad. So then he goes on and explains, He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. If a person attempts to find the perfect opportunity to plant, you know what's going to happen? He's not ever going to plant. Well, is this the perfect day or will it be, you know, let me look at the almanac and let's see, well, is, is this the day that I ought to plant? Well, what about the day to reap? Now, it might rain today and it might not rain today. We've already talked about there's a certain inevitability of what is going to happen. But this person here is trying to decide, do I need to avoid the bad days and try to find the perfect day? And he says, that's what you're searching for. You will never find it. You know, there's a lot of people who are starting businesses in life. And they say, you know what? If I knew that this was the perfect time to start a business, I'd start one. Just like young families saying, well, if I knew this was the perfect time to have a child, we'd have one. But, you know, it's, it's not really the perfect. There are no perfect times. There's the inevitability of good and there's the inevitability of bad. And a person has to work around that. Proverbs 24 says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. There's always some difficulty there. And Solomon is trying to say, you must step up and show some initiative, show some ambition, show some effort to try to do something. It makes me think of the children of Israel back during the time when they had returned from the Babylonian captivity. What had occurred? They had come to the land, they built their houses, and the prophets like Haggai and Zechariah we're saying, now let's build the temple. Let's build the temple. And they said, no, 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 let's don't do it yet. Listen to Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 through 5. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come to build that the Lord's house should be built. 
Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know what had happened? When it come to their own things... They got everything done they needed to do. They built their own houses. They had them paneled. That means they were lined. But the temple, God's house, was still lying in ruins. Sometimes you have to spell things out so people understand what you're talking about. When you talk about spiritual things, people say, I can't do that. I can't take one of those cards and invite him. You know, I, I'm embarrassed. I, I can't talk to people. You can't. I thought you just told me everybody who played on the football team for the University of Tennessee. I thought I heard you describe how to make that seven-layer cake and everything that you put in it. Oh, but that's different. It is? We have to have some investment and we have to have some initiative in spiritual things. Now Solomon is going to proceed on. He's going to use an illustration. And you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb. So you do not know the works of God. If you'll notice the original King James uses the word Spirit, the New King James uses the word wind. Perhaps you may or may not know that the reason why is the same original word can be translated either spirit or wind. Same thing of the New Testament word as well. It can refer to the wind that blows or to the spirit of man. If the Spirit, it would suggest that one does not know how or when the Spirit enters that child that is being born from the womb or how the bones grow in the womb. The truth is, when does the Spirit enter? I think it's very clear from biblical teaching that it happens when a child is conceived. But none of us see that. None of us know how that happens. If it's the wind, one does not know the direction the wind takes once it arrives. I thought it was interesting that this hurricane is coming up through the Gulf and they've got their projections all the way from New Orleans, Louisiana to Apalachicola, Florida. You know why they have such a wide area? They don't have a clue which direction that wind's going to go. They think they know. They've given their predictions. But it may turn and go another direction altogether. John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, what Jesus was doing was recognizing exactly the same thing that Solomon says here. So if I don't know how God does everything in this life, 
I can't figure out always when it will rain and when it will not rain, where the wind will blow and where the wind will not blow. So what should I do? In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know that which will prosper, either this or that, whether both alike will be good. Solomon stresses the initiative. Morning and evening, be active, be a worker. One does not know if one, both, or even neither will be successful. You know, we try a lot of things in the Lord's service that are in harmony with His will. We can try preaching the gospel on the radio. We can try it on the television. We can try it over the Internet. Sometimes it will surprise you how much things may be successful that you didn't expect. Let me tell you something that I learned this morning. I I check it every week or I get a note every week. This past week, 5,500 and something different people connected to the podcast that goes out here. It averages anywhere from five to 10,000 hits a week. Does that shock you? It does me. In fact, there's one sermon that, and I don't know why it is so uh, attractive to people, but I imagine it's probably been listened to close to 10,000 times. A sermon preached a couple years ago on 10, 10, 10. Why does God want your, or why does the devil want your soul? You see, we never know. But if we, we all just choose, we're going to do one thing. What about mission work? Did Paul just go to one place? Or did he try to reach out to a number of different places? And when he found places that would not listen, did he not shake the dust off of his feet and go on to somewhere else? We don't know which one will be successful. Either one, both, or neither. So what do you do? You use the opportunities you have now. Proverbs 3 verse 28 says, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it uh, when you have it with you. Don't go say, Okay, well let's put this off tomorrow. Let's deal with it some other time. Solomon is saying, take the initiative. Do something. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. We may all be in the grave this time next year. We may not have another opportunity. We must show some initiative. Then he says, Pleasant to the eyes, or for the eyes, to behold the sun, yet let him remember the days of darkness. There will be great days as pleasant as the sunshine. But there's going to be dark days as well. Solomon wants us to understand it's not all going to be, as we would say, rosy. Not everything we're going to encounter in life and It's going to be a success for us. Though man may rejoice with many years of good, he said there will still be many days that are dark. 
I thought it significant that he compared years and days. Dark days, even though they may be short, can seem to be incredibly uh, prominent in our lives. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost someone in your family. Maybe you lost your health. And things in life seem to have turned dark for you. But remember, there are many good days as well. So Solomon concludes, all that is coming is vanity. He's considering life on earth. Ultimately, life is going to end. So what are you going to do with it? What is Solomon's message about life? You get only one shot. You better use it well. The only way to get a return is to make an investment. One should not let life's problems keep him from acting. Life happens. Don't let it stop you from acting. A balanced perspective of life recognizes... It's value, but doesn't overly evaluate it either. In other words, you don't say that this life is all there is. It's important. You've got to use it, but that's not all that there is to man's being. There is eternity. I don't know why 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 kept coming to my mind as I would read and reread these verses. But listen to what Paul said about exercise. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What about your investment that Solomon describes here into your spiritual future? Would you open your songbooks now and let us prepare to sing the invitation song? It's very possible that you are here tonight and you have been thinking about dwelling upon the idea of, I need to be a Christian. When we sing this song, you need to come forward and let those know, let us know here at the front that you want to become a Christian, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that you'll have repented of your sins and we will assist you in being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you are a child of God and you're looking at your life and you realize my life's a mess, sin has taken hold in my life, I've got to get things right, let's pray with you and for you that God will forgive you and we have his assurance that he will. Would you come as we stand and sing?